Well, hey, everybody. Again, just want to thank you so much for being here uh, at the project tonight. Um, yeah, as Jeff said, we're diving into a really interesting series this evening. Um, it's called Little Fires Everywhere. Maybe you've watched the series on Netflix. It's really, or on Amazon Prime. It's really good, but not quite what we're dealing with here. Um, but it's centered around faith deconstruction. I'm sure a lot of you are maybe familiar with that term, uh, maybe because you hate it or because you're actually in the process of deconstructing your faith right now. For a lot of people, deconstruction, it starts with, you know, one little fire. One question, one doubt, one hurt, one event, one experience, and then maybe another, and then another, and another, and another, and before you know it, the whole house is in flames. And so what I'm not here to do today is get into an argument about the semantics of deconstructing and whether it's right or wrong or good or bad. But what I will say is that here at the project, you know, we believe that asking questions is important. You know, wrestling with the tensions we feel within Christianity is important. You know, that's why we felt the need so strongly to do a series like this. And so I want to preface today's message by saying that your questions, your confusion, and even your challenges about Christianity are not only normal, but they're actually very invited here. And if there's anything in particular that sticks out to you tonight, or maybe throughout the duration of the series, or just another issue or problem that you're, you're wrestling with, our team of pastors, we'd be more than happy to meet with you and talk through those things because we don't want you to be processing them alone. We're here for you, we care for you, so if that's you, um, you know, after the service, you can go to our Connect booth and uh, yeah, we'd love to get your information. You can come up to me or Pastor Ruben or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Brett and uh, yeah, we'd just love to get connected with you. So before we dive in, let me just pray for us. God, I thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness in our lives. And I thank you that you're a God that's not afraid of our questions. And as we look through just the history of, of the church and maybe some of the hurts and some of the not great moments, Lord, I just pray for peace in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to see you through the grime and through the dirt and through the mess, Lord God. I pray that you'd use me tonight, uh, that I'd be your vessel, that, yeah, people would be transformed through your words tonight. And everybody said, amen. So, I don't know about you, but I don't know, have you ever received a gift that you weren't like super stoked about? You know, like a sweater from your aunt that like maybe you would have worn when you were five, but like would never be caught dead in as like a 20 year old. And I get it, like there's some fashion trends like late 90s coming back, early 2000s coming back. This is my dad's sweater from like the 80s. I don't know, I get it. But like this piece of clothing like deserves to be burned. Okay, like something really, really bad. And like, I don't wanna get too specific sharing stories from my own life because this will exist on the internet forever. But I'm pretty sure the person that I'm gonna be talking about today is never gonna see this. If you guys promise not to snitch, I will tell you very <laughs> kind of embarrassing personal uh, great story of a gift I received that I didn't really want or need or ask for. So let's dive in, shall we? Okay, so a number of years ago, uh, this person was in my life and they were known for making these really beautiful seal skin gloves and mitts. And if you don't know, like it's, it's like very expensive, very time consuming. 
a seal had to die for them. Like it's, it's a whole ordeal. And I kind of heard like here and there back and forth, like, oh, like she'll make you some. And I'm like, oh, okay, like cool, I guess. And, uh, and then I get said gloves and I'll uh, pop a picture of them on the screen for you now here. Um, and that's what they ended up looking like. Okay, I'm, I was a little worried that everyone would be like, no, like they're fine. I heard your reactions, okay? I heard them. So um, yeah, here we have some very bougie gloves, maybe not my personal taste. I'm sure some of you here would rock them and look great. I wouldn't, but the problem is I'm literally the only person that can wear them. And maybe the other, I don't know, 200 Abby Martins in the world. And like, my, I was like, what? Does this lady not think I'm ever gonna get married? Like, okay, great, thank, thank you. Um, and so a couple things. Uh, overall style, maybe not for me. Um, the name, maybe not the one thing I want everyone to see publicly as I walk around. And they're just really bulky. And I felt bad because they were like, it was such a nice gift and she put so much time and effort into them but just kind of let them sit in a closet. And like one winter went by, then another, and then another, and they were just sitting there. And the problem with me is that I am a like semi-hardcore minimalist. So like after a while, when like I'm not using something, like I'm like, I need to get rid of it. And so for years I was going back and forth and I'm like, do I donate these? Again, if I donate them, who will take them? There is no other Abby Martin in this city or like someone's gonna know. Someone's gonna know that I donated them. What do I do? And so I did end up donating them after about two or three years. So I don't know, if you end up going to the thrift store, you might, you might see them, you can cop them and wear them. But uh, I know that makes me a terrible person and I have come to terms with that. So maybe you found yourself in a similar situation where you just got something and you're like, it's an avocado, thanks. What am I supposed to do with this? And you know, it's not like this person is intentionally, you know, giving you something you don't want or don't need. You know, they're not trying to play some sick trick or anything, but at the end of the day, even with the best of intentions, they just kind of missed the mark. And you're left with sealskin gloves that you will never use and you didn't want and you didn't really ask for and you don't know what to do and they just sit in your closet for years. And sometimes this can be the case with the way uh, that Christians do mission work or through their evangelism. And I know that sounds pretty harsh and I'll explain what I mean. But before I do that, I wanna explain a few key terms so that we're all, all on the same page. So the first one I wanna talk about is evangelism. Maybe you've heard that word before, maybe you haven't, but evangelism is the act of preaching the gospel with the intention of sharing the message and teachings of Christ. So talking about Jesus, all that good stuff, we love it. Uh, the next term I wanna talk about are missionaries. Missionaries, they do mission work, and so they are a group sent by a religious body to a different ge geographical location, usually, um, to do religious and social work. And then the last thing I wanted to find for you is the gospel. And so quite in like very simple terms, it is the good news. And so within the context of Christianity, the gospel is the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a death that humanity deserved and came back to life to save those who choose to follow him. 
But if we look at the history of how Christians uh, have shared the good news of Jesus, you know, there's been a lot of times where we failed pretty miserably. You know, there's deep ties between Christianity and colonialism. You know, that's how Europe justified the colonization and exploitation of Africa. That's how, you know, the institutional church and the Canadian government justified the abuse of indigenous youth and kids in residential schools. And in those cases, their intentions were evil and terrible and placed under the pretense of religion. But other times, the motives of Christians aren't as overtly bad or evil or corrupt. You know, they want to make people's lives better and show God's love, all good things. But again, even with the best of intentions, you know, we all have our blind spots. And we can actually become a burden rather than a blessing. One of the most common forms of mission work is through short-term mission trips. Maybe you've been on one before, but generally it's like you have a group of people in a church or like a Christian organization, especially youth and young adult aged people. You know, they fundraise, they go somewhere, um, usually somewhere far away, like abroad, not always, but usually there's some type of significant geographical distance. And there's some type of serving component involved, like building a school or digging a well or serving in soup kitchens or helping at orphanages. And again, none of those things are inherently wrong at all. But those who have uh, done research on the topic, they've actually found that there can at times, at times, be some negative consequences. And so there's a guy named Robert D. Lupton, and so he actually wrote a whole book on the subject. Uh, he spent years working in inner city and doing mission work, and this is what he says. Contrary to popular belief, most missions trips and service projects do not empower those being served, engender healthy cross-cultural relationships, improve quality of life, relieve poverty, change the lives of participants, or increase support for long-term missions work. An additional stat he shares says this, the money spent by one campus ministry to cover the costs of their Central American missions trip to repaint an orphanage would have been enough to hire two local painters and two full-time teachers and purchase uniforms for every student in that school. And I know these statements are pretty intense and pretty jarring, and maybe at this point, mission work just seems like a total write-off to you, that it's just toxic charity and an excuse for teenagers to go on vacations and get good pictures for Instagram. And you know, this is a tension that I've struggled with a lot as I was preparing for this message because I've been on multiple short-term mission trips. Uh, actually, my first one when I was 15 years old, it changed my life. That's where I felt like I wanted to follow God wholeheartedly and that's where I felt a calling into going to, into ministry. And mission work is also a really important part of my family's history. Uh, my mom was born and raised in Ghana, in Africa, and her dad's side of the family was actually converted uh, to Christianity through uh, Swiss missionaries. You know, they were the pioneers of Christianity in that country and they planted churches all over. So through that conversion in our family tree, my grandfather actually became a pastor. So who knows, if that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be on this stage right now. And even beyond my personal experiences and biases, you know, it's so important for us to allow our perspective on mission to be uh, shaped by the Bible. And thankfully, there's a lot of content about evangelism and serving others in scripture, which makes it, and it's pretty clear that it's a mandate. You know, it's something that all Christians are called to do. We're all called to tell people about Jesus and share his teachings and his love. 
One of the uh, most well-known passages about this is in Matthew 28. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. But it's one of Jesus' final declarations between after he came back to life and before he ascended into heaven. So in that window of time, uh, this is what he says in verses 19 to 20. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here we have this commandment, you know, it's not optional. The disciples back then and Christians today are, we're to make other disciples in all places. We're to baptize them and teach them. And it's not through our own power and authority, but it's God working in and through us. In a letter to the Church of Rome, a missionary, one of, like the first missionary, Paul, uh, he writes this in uh, chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So here in context, Paul is referring to the nation of Israel. They were God's originally chosen people, but they were actually rejecting the gospel at this point. Not great, not good. So he's emphasizing that they have to call on the Lord and believe in him, but they could only do that by hearing the word. So by the word, I mean the message of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. You know, that needed to be articulated by someone who could communicate it to them, someone that God sent to them. And so in the same way, we can also view Paul's words here as an encouragement for us to fulfill our responsibility of sharing the gospel in a world where people have either rejected it or they just haven't heard it at all. And it's a good and noble thing to do. You know, I know the, the part about the feet is kind of weird, but it's not supposed to be. Um, especially because in their Bible time, Birkenstocks, who knows what they would have been actually walking in. But the beautiful thing is the message that they're sharing. This message of hope and peace in a world full of dark, darkness and brokenness. You know, a message that we need to continue to share today. And so here we are with this tension. You know, every Christian is commanded to evangelize or share the gospel. But our execution of this historically has caused significant hurt and damage. You know, people from uh, groups have had their cultural identities stripped from them in the name of evangelism. Communities are left to adapt to the wishes of groups that are actually coming to help them, which creates an unsustainable uh, and unhealthy dependency. You know, there's children that live in orphanages and health facilities uh, that, you know, they create these emotional bonds with volunteers that leave over and over and over again, and they're constantly abandoned. And that has a, a terrible psychological effect. And those are only some of the issues that can come out of mission work. You know, I could probably be up here all night if we got into the complex economic and political dilemmas that have also developed but good things have also come out of evangelism and mission work. You know, one study reported that areas where Protestant missionaries had significant presence in the past are now on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, 
greater literacy, higher education attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. So what do we do with that? You know, how, how can we move forward in the right way? You know, where can we make a lasting and truly sustainable difference in people's lives? You know, where their physical and their spiritual needs are both being met. And so first off, you know, we need to start by checking where our hearts are at. Our hearts, they truly have so much power. You know, in life overall, people may perceive us based on how we present ourselves in person or online, you know, how we dress, how we speak, what we do, but the Lord looks at our hearts. You know, he knows our true intentions and motives. So within the context of this message, we need to examine our hearts in relation to evangelism. You know, we need to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? You know, what is my primary motivation? Am I going to invest time and effort into a mission project because it would look really good on a resume or because there's a really cute guy or girl that's also gonna be on the trip or because I've always wanted to go to a certain part of the world? Is it to make myself feel better or to seem like a good person? Or is it because I value Jesus' command to all Christians to join in with him in serving people? And you know, that's something only you can truly answer for yourself. But as we invite God into that process of examining our hearts, we can start to develop a posture of humility where it's not about doing what I want, but about serving others, serving God. And humility is essential to evangelism. You know, rather than coming in with our own agenda and having, you know, those we're actually trying to reach cater to our needs and preferences. You know, instead of imposing ourselves and asking, instead of imposing ourselves, we ask, how can I serve you? And if that means taking thousands, the thousands of dollars that were meant to go towards sending a whole group of people to build a school in a developing nation, taking that money and instead just giving it all to an organization so that they can hire local builders and stimulate their own economy, that's great. If it means partnering with a reputable organization or a missionary who already has an established relationship with their community, that's incredible. No, I'm not saying the mission trips are bad or you should never go on one. But how we approach them is what really matters. Even having humility to the point where you shift your perspective away from like the, superior, the superiority that comes from being like the sending country, like, oh, we have so much to teach them, oh, we're better, and actually stepping towards this beautiful relationship that can come from two groups just getting to know each other, learning from one another giving mutually to one another. And so maybe you're here tonight and the not so great aspects of church missions work have left you hurt or leave you questioning the validity of Christianity. And if that's you, I'm really sorry. You know, whether your hurt is direct or indirect. The response I hear a lot of the time when people have experienced some form of church hurt is, you know, well, the church isn't perfect. It's made up of imperfect people. And yes, that's, that's true. But I think sometimes we risk this danger of, of making that an excuse. You know, well, the past in the past, we can't change what happened hundreds of years ago, whatever, and we can't. But why are we okay to just settle with that? You know, the church may not be perfect, but our whole goal here is to be like Jesus, 
who himself was the embodiment of perfection. So I wanna call myself to a higher standard. You know, I wanna live a life that doesn't perpetuate people's pain and suffering, but rather alleviates it. And for those of you who are Christians in the room tonight, I hope that you want the same. And so if that's you, you know, maybe uh, this is a subject that has caused you to distance yourself from the church or from Jesus overall. You know, I encourage you to dive into the scriptures that I shared earlier as you go about your week that outline biblical missions. You know, you can even read uh, in, in Matthew, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you know, some of his most well-known teachings uh, that have a major emphasis uh, for caring for the marginalized. And again, please know that our pastors, our team here are more than happy to talk with you and, and to work through those questions that you may have. And if you're here tonight and missions are something that you're really passionate about, my hope is that my words didn't leave you discouraged, but that they instead challenge you to make true and lasting change in our world that, if we're honest, it, it desperately needs it. You know, earlier this week, uh, Jeff, our lead pastor, uh, he said something that really stuck out to me. And if I'm being honest, I don't remember if he got it from someone else, but I Googled it and I couldn't find a source, so we're just gonna give it to him. Uh, and this is what he said. True offense promotes action. You know, whether it's internal or external. When we are moved by a situation, you know, when we are dissatisfied with the way that things are, that should drive us to do something about it. It could be a simple change in perspective or learning more about an issue to better understand it. It could be putting our time and our resources towards a certain cause. You know, whatever it is for you, I believe God will continue to make that clear. And if you're looking for a starting point when it comes to learning about reputable missions trips and organizations and people that you can partner with, I'd really encourage you to check out our church website. You can just scan the QR code that's up on the screen. Um, and there's, the, so the project is a part of a larger church called Hope City. And uh, yeah, we have some incredible, uh, really thorough resources and information that you can check out. Things that are global, things that are even just local to us in Edmonton. And lastly, I wanna go back to that initial passage of scripture that I talked about in Matthew, you know, where Jesus makes that declaration to the people present to go and make disciples. This portion of the New Testament was originally written in Greek and the Greek verb translated to the word go isn't an imperative command. Some of you are like, what does that mean? I'll explain it, don't worry. Um, but for all of you grammar nerds out there, um, that word go is actually a present participle, which is an, a continuous action. So it would more accurately be going and not go. So the command here, it lies in the phrase, make disciples, that is the command. So we could read it like this. While you are going, make disciples of all the nations. While you are going, make disciples of all the nations. And I'll be honest, guys, I'm pretty familiar with that portion of scripture. I've heard it since I was a little kid, but this was a total game changer for me. You know, I see this idea now where fulfilling this great commission, this command that God gave us, is, it isn't about just going to the other side of the world to teach people about Jesus, and that's so important. And if that's something that you feel like God is calling you to, then that's great, and I encourage you to pursue it. 
but it's also about evangelizing and sharing the gospel wherever we are. You know, at the grocery store, at your favorite coffee shop, at school, at home, at work, on social media. You know, it's about living a life that reflects the message you're preaching so that day in and day out, people are drawn to the fact that you live differently and they wanna experience that same love and joy and hope and peace that you bring with you everywhere that you go. So I think about it like this, you know, everywhere I go is my mission field in a sense. You know, everywhere I go is an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to show his love. And so I invite you to think, you know, in your own life, you know, what, what is your mission field right now? And who are those people that God has specifically placed in your life that need to know about Jesus? Maybe it's a family member or a coworker or a classmate. Who are those people? And I know that it can be really tricky to talk about Christianity outside of these church walls, especially in the culture that we're living in. I get it, I get it, but here's the thing, you know, you don't need to have every single answer. I'm telling you right now, I don't have every single answer. Jeff certainly doesn't have, just kidding. None of us, none of us do. But even at the end of that command, you know, Jesus promises that he will be with us, that he will give us the strength to say the words that we need to say. He is the one that will transform their hearts. It's not, it's not us. But it's allowing him to use us to make that connection. So yeah, I encourage you to think, even if there's a name that comes to your head right now, who, who is that person? Who are those people in your life that right now are your mission field? And even if, if they're young adult age, you know, we'd love for you to invite them to the project. We, every element of what we do, you know, we have people who are not yet saved in mind. So we want this to be a place where you're inviting people that don't know Jesus yet. So as we go into this time of worship, I just encourage you to think through who that could be in your life. And even just to pray over them right now that, you know, whether they need, God needs to soften their hearts a little bit, even if it's just for an opportunity to start a conversation, whatever it is, you know. And so I just encourage you to reflect on that as we go into this time of worship. Let me just pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we get to partner with you in this incredible responsibility of sharing your love. I thank you for the love that you have shown each of us for the transformation that you have given us and that we have this opportunity to share that with people in our lives, Lord. I pray that you give us boldness and strength and opportunity to reach people in our lives that need to be reached, people that need your hope, people that need your love. I thank you that everywhere is our mission field, Lord, that we don't have to just pack our bags and fly to the other side of the world. And while that's important, you know, it's also important to realize who's in our, our backyard. So I pray that, yeah, even just be on tonight, Lord. I pray for those lives that I know you are already gonna change. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Why don't you stand and worship?